First, I want to say thanks to the ladies who stuck around last week and decorated this place because it looks awesome. So thank you very much. That's um, super, uh, super cool. And, um, and uh, yeah, all right. There's something else I was going to say, but I forgot. So I am going to start by welcoming you guests that are here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, if I didn't get to say hi to you on the way in, please find me on the way out. We've got gift bags that have contact information for us if you want to reach out to us. I would love to send you a text this week and just say, hey, and make contact with you. This is, this is Christmas, right? But it's always Christmas for us, and I say this every year, right? The messages don't change. Jesus is still born on Christmas, right? We're still celebrating what God has done. We're still celebrating the gospel, right? We're still preaching the gospel. We're still out spreading the gospel, right? Like, it, this is simply, I mean, we had trees and garland and lights, and then we're like, yeah, look, it's Christmas now, right? Um, but what I want us to think about, and this is what we're going to be thinking about as we kind of go through the next three weeks, is the Jews waited a long time for the Messiah, right? And we celebrate this because the Messiah came, right? And, and there was a celebration, and we, we went through that as we were going through John and Palm Sunday as, they, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they were, you know, singing Hosanna, and it was just this incredible celebration that the Messiah had arrived. What we're going to read this morning is that Jesus basically says, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm leaving you again. And they're like, but we've been waiting so long for you to get here. What do you mean you're going to leave again? And he says, but don't worry, I'm going to come back. And he does three days later, right? The empty grave that we just sang about, right? And so, so he comes back and so, they, yay, they were, they were excited again. And then what happens? And then he leaves again, right? And he says, but I'm going to come back, and that's where we're at, and we're longing for Jesus' second coming. We're longing for God to finally and fully redeem the world, and so um, I, I spoke to the band this morning of like, like, this is, waiting is characteristic of the follower of Christ. Not that we're waiting for our problems to be solved, or for our fears to be completely removed or, you know, life doesn't become easy, but we're waiting for Jesus. We're waiting on God. We're, we're waiting to celebrate the next arrival of our King. And so this, and you'll hear the word Advent, that's what it means. This is Advent, right? We're, we're waiting for Christmas. We're, we're waiting for Jesus, uh, you know, December 25th, he's going to come, right, in, in some sense, but we're still waiting for his second coming. And so it's a virtue, it's a practice that we ought to practice waiting and encouraging our kids to understand what this is, that we are longing for our joy to be completely filled when Christ returns. So that's how we're setting the stage as we, as we look at this, because we've been talking about, right, like we, as we went through the gospel of John, right, it was the signs of Jesus as he was pointing to who he was who he is, right? And now uh, John divides this around chapter 11 and 12, and he says, and then he goes into like why Jesus is worthy of glory. Well, if you're waiting for somebody, if your whole life is characterized by waiting for this individual, he's worthy of glory. There's a reason why we're waiting for that, because he's worthy of glory, and we're going to see that this morning as we dive into Scripture. We'll be in John chapter 16, uh, but first let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for what you've done in sending your son. We thank you for your promises that have been fulfilled and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And we hope and 
long and wait for that day. And we thank you for reconciling us, for saving us, for removing our sins from us. We couldn't do it on our own. And the God of all creation, the God of the universe, came and rescued us. Thank you. May you speak to us this morning through your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The verses will be on the screen as we uh, dive into this. I will be reading from the ESV. Um, All right. So, where are we at? We're in the upper room. This is, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, right? He's, he spends like these, these few chapters um, basically speaking to the disciples. And he's equipping them. He's, he's legitimate, very clearly getting them ready. For what? For him to leave. He's like, listen, it, it's, it's been great that I've been with you, but I'm going to leave. And so what's happening is he's up there and he's, he's, he's giving them kind of these final words, right? And as he's doing this, it's, it's just to the 11 at this point. Judas left, right? Judas is out gathering up torches and men, and right? Like Jesus knows that Judas is out getting ready and trying to formulate the plan to betray him. And the 11 are sitting there at the table with Jesus trying to understand what he's talking about. Because in their minds, they cannot comprehend that the Messiah is going to leave. It does not make any sense to them. And yet Jesus continues to kind of have this tone, this ominous, dark tone of like, I'm going to leave. But, and that's what we're going to be talking about. What's the the but as he runs through this? And so as we've been bouncing back and forth, right, this week, you read Jesus gives the first explanation of, of what is going on in this world and how he is going to overcome it, right? And how he has presently overcome it. And so uh, if you, and we're going to rewind just a little bit. If you go back to John chapter 16, verse 7, you guys read this this week. It says, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Remember, the helper is the Holy Spirit, the counselor. He goes, it's better that I go. And we we talked about this in our small group this week, right? Like, isn't that crazy? Because, like, we probably very often use an expression that would say something like, man, if Jesus was just right here, like, things would be way easier, right? Like, I'd just be... Right? What would Jesus do, bracelet? You're like, I don't know, what would you do? <laughs> you know? Like if he was sitting right next to you and like and you go, Well, life would be so much easier. And what Jesus actually says is actually better, it's advantageous for us if he leaves. Why? Because the helper is going to come, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. He writes the law on our hearts. This isn't an external person saying, Hey, you should do this or you should do that. It's the Holy Spirit convicting us, and we go, I should do this. You see, that's, that's fundamentally different, saying, I should do this. I feel convicted that this. That's a change in affections. That's more powerful than anything. I can't, I mean, I try that with my kids, right? Like, I say, you should do this. And I hope that at some point, that pronoun changes, and they say, I should do this. And I go, yes, 
I've succeeded as a father. Right? I mean, that, that's fundamentally the difference. That's aligned affections. That's a changed heart. And that's why Jesus says, it's better if I go because the Holy Spirit's going to do this stuff to you. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be incredible. And you're going to own it. And then he says in verse uh, 13, uh, 16, verse 13, uh, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Sets our minds forward. You get that? It's not that we're, be, we're all going to be like prophesying future events. That's not the point, right? But that we would be waiting. We would be looking at, at what's in the future, that we would have a hope. That he would be pointing to things to come, to Jesus' arrival, to Jesus' birth, right? Obviously not in this context, right? But like he's pointing to these things in the future. Hope is, it only works if it's in the future. You don't hope for something that's in the past. You certainly don't hope to be at church today because you're here, right? You know, so, so this is the mindset. And so what Jesus is saying is in the midst of persecution, and that was the whole context that we read this week, right? In the midst of persecution, in the midst of the hatred of the world and the difficulties, you'll have the Holy Spirit who will remind you of what's to come, who will produce in you the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk to later, who will encourage you and give you steadfastness and peace and joy in the midst of whatever this world is chaos and difficulties and pain and failures and fear and you name it. And so this is what Jesus said this week as we were going through it. And so now, so, so the first one is like this, this persecution and this frustration and this difficulty, this hatred. And now he's going to transition. He's going to go, there's another reason that you're going to long for this. There's another reason why you need to be equipped. He goes, because I'm going to leave. And this is where he picks up in verse 16, uh, Chapter 16, verse 16. He says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. I just want to pause here for a second. I, I always find there's, there's humor in the reality of, of the honesty of Scripture here. So it's very verbose. It's a very weird conversation. You're like, what do you mean you didn't understand? <laughs> Seems very clear. In a little bit, I'm leaving. And then a little bit after that, I'm going to be back. And we all look at it in hindsight going, eh, about, maybe a little bit was about three days. <laughs> but again, for them, and we're going to see this throughout this, they're confused. John has been very clear that the disciples did not understand what was happening. They didn't fully grasp it. And we have to realize that, that, that we stand 2,000 years looking back and go, this is super clear. I don't understand why they didn't understand it, right? But for them, in the midst of it, coming with all that they had from a Jewish background of waiting for the Messiah, this was confusing. I don't know where you're going. What are you talking about here? So, so they were saying, this is verse 18, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And look at what it says in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. 
So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. I don't know that we can appropriately fathom what it would be like to follow Jesus physically for two years, two and a half years, and leave your family, leave your jobs, and just follow him. And like, leave everything and, and, and ab- abandon your Jewish heritage and, right? Like, this is a big deal. And then he goes, and, and I'm done. <laughs> and they're like, well, but, <laughs> but this, this, was, this was what I was planning on doing for the rest of my life. And you can't leave now. And it says that they wanted to ask him. But they didn't. They didn't. Why didn't they ask him? Why didn't they just go, Jesus, explain this to us, right? Like, this is some emotional stuff that's going on here, right? Like, like they are desperate to understand what's happening. They're like, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know what this means, and I'm scared to ask. Maybe they're just afraid of the answer. Maybe they're afraid to you know, display their ignorance. Maybe they thought each other knew, but they were the ones left out. Maybe, maybe they were just nervous. But regardless, they didn't ask. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was in all of their hearts. And he says, is this what you're asking now? You see, for the disciples, they were expecting joy and peace to come through the world. Like, that's what they thought. They thought the Messiah was going to bring them joy and peace, and, and like, this is it. This is what the Messiah's job was. This is what we've been waiting thousands of years for. And what Jesus brings to them is not that joy and peace is going to come through the world, but that joy and peace is going to come in spite of the world, in spite of the chaos, in spite of all the stuff, in spite of the frustrations, in spite of the hatred and persecution and all of these difficulties, you will still have peace and joy. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're going to weep and you're going to mourn. Awesome, where do I sign up? He says, well, take heart, right? We'll get to that, right? But he goes... You will have joy. The world is going to rejoice at my death. This is what we now know, right? They they didn't fully understand this, but the world is going to rejoice at his death. Yes, solve that problem, right? And they scatter. They leave him. They abandon him. But he's going to come back, and they will have joy. And so here we sit. He has left. He has abandoned us. Not really, right? But this is kind of that, that mindset of like, we are longing for him to come back. We want him to come back. And we know that when he comes back, we're going to have this measure of joy that is so profound, so deep, that we can't even comprehend what it would look like. 
And so he says, you're going to have a future joy. This is, this is the first tool that God gives us to equip us for the chaos that is this world. Because this world is filled with difficulties. And we can say it's just randomness and chance and, you know, those of us who just happen to get lucky, uh, uh, you know, don't have to deal with a lot of it. And those of us who are unlucky have to deal with a lot of it and, you know, just depends on what coin you flipped. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what he says at all. In fact, look at verse 21, and this is what, um, where Jennifer read this earlier. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. What a promise. This is a present promise for us. He's not talking about the future joy when Jesus comes back, when he comes back in his second coming. He's talking about what is applicable to when he rose from the grave and he came back and visited the disciples, and that's the joy that they had and we now have that no one can take away from us. This isn't something that we're hoping for in the future. This future joy is present for us and future. It's both and, right? Like we get a measure of it now through the Holy Spirit who gives us joy in the midst of this. This is the tension that we live in life, right? I often say to my girls, like everything worth doing is hard work. The easy stuff is the meaningless stuff. You know, and like, and this is where Jesus is going, like, it's better that I leave. I know it's going to hurt, and I know you're going to be sorrowful. But I love you more than your present emotion. I love you so deeply, I want more for you. And so he says, I'm going to leave. But I'm going to come back, which is a beautiful promise. Just, I mean, and departing, I mean, who here has had a loved one that has left at some point, either, either permanently or temporarily, and come back? Raise your hand. You... Right? So, I mean, you probably all have had at least somebody has passed away. That's, that's been a forever one, right? Until, until heaven, hopefully, God willing. And... But even temporary ones, it's horrible, isn't it? Long-distance relationships, Right? It's miserable. Um, in the military, you know, we, we, we did this a few times, never on the, the level that, that many in the military have. I, I, can't, uh, I can't claim uh, super difficulty with that, but, it, but it, it was horrible nonetheless. I'm choosing my words carefully. It was horrible. It was bad. It stunk, right? Not... not not just for me, probably more so for my wife who carried all of the load back home while I was gone, right? But, but for that sorrow, the reunion is worth it, right? I mean, if you've had that, you're like, I mean, even if you're gone for like a week or whatever and you come home and you're like, yeah, I'm home, right? Everybody, right? Like, it's awesome and it's so exciting. 
it's etched in my mind and my heart, like my kids waving, right? Like, like these are the things. And we get so emotional and passionate about those, and this is where they were at with Jesus. I can't wait for him to come back. You see, they knew him. And they had this, they had, they had the Son of God dwelling with them that, like, they probably felt pretty protected, right? Like, I feel pretty invincible <laughs> with the Son of God walking around Galilee with me, right? Like, I, I'm not worried that something's going to happen, right? Apparently, God's in control of this stuff, right? And so, so then when he leaves, like, it's just, it's just this tension of departing and coming back. And so as we're celebrating this Christmas, we should also be longing for Jesus' return. And so what he says is, listen, I am going to come back for all that I would say. I don't think I ever promised, you know, like in a movie type of thing. I promise I'll be back. Because we can't promise that. I mean, we expect it and we hope it, and generally that happens, but sadly it doesn't always happen. Sadly, sometimes we say bye, and that's the last time we say bye. And eventually, we will all encounter that in our lives, most likely, which is super sad. But Jesus says, I will be back. He doesn't say, I might be back. He doesn't say, I hope to be back. He doesn't say, give me three or four days. He says, I will be back, and you will have joy. And so he says, think forward. Think, just trust me in this. I promise you, you will have joy. And that promise for the disciples is still good for us, right? Because he came back and gave them that joy. And we'll get more into that here in a bit. But he gives them that joy. And that's the joy that we presently have, okay? As followers of Christ, that's the promise. That's what we have a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, right? This is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, that gives us this joy. There's a second tool that he gives them, and this is access to the Father. Look at verse 23. He says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This one took me a little bit to understand what was going on. Because I'm like, well, they have asked you things. And I'm sure they've prayed to God. And I'm very confused by what he's talking about here. Let me, and, and this, is, this is super cool. And I'll, I'll just encourage you guys, if you guys have never gone to blueletterbible. I think it's .com, maybe .org. Super easy to use. You type in the verse. Gives you like the Greek and like you can kind of look through it. It's super easy. And I, if you ever want to, I highly encourage it. Here's why I say this. Because the English language is poor. <laughs> it's very bad. We have a lot of words that mean different things, but, but they, they look and say and they, they, it's all the same, right? And so it, where it says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. He's saying ask um, uh, questions, interrogations. Like explain this to me. It's like questioning. He's like, you're not going to ask anything of me. Like, you're going to know. That's, that's that, that ask. You're not going to have to ask any questions. You're going to know what's going on. Why? The Holy Spirit. We'll get to that here in a second. But the Holy Spirit's going to explain these things to us, right? 
And so that's, so that's the first one. Then he, then he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That's asking for something. That's saying like, God, will you give me this? Will you solve this for me? Will you explain this to me? It's asking God for something. N- not the last one. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, so the first one is, now I've just confused it, sorry. So the first one is like asking a question, like explain what you're doing, explain the plan, explain all this. The second ask and the rest of the asks are all for something, like, like to solve a problem type of thing. Does that make sense? Did I clear that up? Sorry. I had it clear and then I messed it up. <laughs> so he says, in that day you'll ask nothing of me, like you're, you're going to understand it. And then he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give you. This is why we say in Jesus' name. In fact, Jerome called me out on it because like, I didn't say it at one point. But, but it's not a magical spell. That's not the point. It's a good practice. But it's not like they're magic words. What he's saying is, because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is, I am asking this in his name. In fact, the basis for asking is a reconciled heart to God. That what you ask, is what God wants. We'll just hang on that for a second. What you ask is what God wants. Is that true? That, that, that's a fully reconciled heart with God. And that should be our prayer. Help me to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. That's it. That's reconciled. And, and who did this? Jesus did this. He accomplished it. This was God's plan. Jesus executed it, and the Holy Spirit preserves it, right? And so this is what happens. And so the Holy Spirit does that in us, changes our hearts, writes the law in our hearts. It's not the, a law that we must follow. It's a law we want to follow, right? Because we want to do the things that God wants. Because we understand that in them are peace and joy and love and truth. This is beautiful, right? He says he will give it to you. The basis of this is the reconciliation. He's actually going to talk about it here in verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now, this isn't to say that Jesus does not intercede for us, because he does, clearly. We know that in the rest of Scripture. So Jesus continues to intercede for us. What he's saying is that you've been reconciled. You can go to God. Can Can we just think about this for a second? The creator of the universe, like when you, like at night, and you look at everything, like he's the one that like spoke that into existence, and then he listens to you and me? What? What possibly happened that allowed that relationship to exist? Jesus Christ. We, we have to comprehend this. And, this. and this started at the birth of a baby. 
right? This is, this is where the plan came into actual existence, perce- perceptible existence for us. And so what we see here is that, that Jesus is saying, you don't need me, like, you don't need me here. Like, you, I've reconciled you to the Father. You're not estranged. You're not an orphan. You're an adopted child of God. What a beautiful promise. And not only that, he's a sovereign God. So he knows every circumstance of your life. Not only does he know it, he's allowed it. Let that one sit for a second. Talked to a few people the last couple weeks, and man, sometimes life is not even a one-two punch. It's a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like, man, would you just let me get up? It's tough. And what do we do? We try to help, kind of. I can't give somebody peace. I can't give them joy. I can give them money. I can give them dinner. Doesn't it just feel so sorry, like what we can do? It's like, like we do stuff. It's just like, and then your life going is going, right? And so you still have stuff to do, but there's still other needs and there's other people, right? I mean, looking around you, like you guys know everybody in here, not everybody, but you guys know most of the people are sitting around you, right? Like, painful. Painful. But it's within God's purview. And we won't understand it. He doesn't promise us understanding. He promises us peace and joy. He promises us peace and joy in the midst of it. I can't give you that. Nobody in this room can give you that. No amount of help can give you that. No TV is going to give you that. No self-help study is going to give you that. Christ gives you that. And that's the gift of Christmas. A peace and joy that endures life. This is why we should be telling everybody about this, right? This is why it's good news. This is why the gospel is something we're like, I, it's not... The gospel's perfect, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that we always feel this, you know, otherworldly peace and joy in the midst of the chaos, right? It's not that we're like ab- above all of these things and it never touches us, right? It's not that, but it's, it's at the agony, the painful crying prayers, the dark nights that you go, yeah, but my God is sovereign. Yeah, but Jesus died for me. Exactly what you guys just saying, right? Uh, <laughs> I always do this. I don't remember the exact words. <laughs> this is a pattern for me. Uh, like, you know, whatever. The, the empty grave solves, solves all your fears. That was the, con- right? You guys remember singing something like that? <laughs> okay? Y'all sing it, so I just can't remember it. But that's what he's saying. In the midst of all of that, you have an empty grave. You have an empty grave that you look back on. You're like, so what you're telling me is that God can conquer life, but he can't conquer my problems in life. Or he can't give me peace and joy in the midst of the problems in my life. He absolutely can. 
And that's the beauty. And so he gives you access to the Father. And then look at this, what he says. He gives you the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've kind of alluded to that up to this point. Look at verse 29. He says, it says, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That word question is the same as that first ask, by the way. Okay? So that's the same, like, we don't need, we don't need you to explain anything more to us. We got it. <laughs> that's what they say. We don't need... <laughs> I just think it's funny. Because I would have said the same thing, right? Oh, I totally got it, Jesus. So I totally understand now. Um, and <laughs> they say, we... Sorry. We do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. You just wrap that up for us, Jesus. Thank you. We're good now. Look at Jesus' response in verse 31. Uh, uh, now you believe? That's what he says. Oh. Oh, that was it? Despite all that I've done and said, you're telling me like the last few words I've given you, like you're like... Got it. It's all suitcased up. Like, I got this thing wrapped up. I'm good. I'm, I'm on my way. Jesus goes, now you believe? And then look at what he says, which is just so incredible. In verse 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He goes, you think your faith is strong? Well, you're all going to leave me. I mean, this is reminiscent of what he told Peter, right? You're going to deny me three times. Peter goes, no, it's never going to happen, Jesus. He goes, yeah, you will. And they're like, we believe in you. He goes, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to abandon me. You're going to go to your own homes, and you're going to go cry in the corner. Basically, what Jesus is saying. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. <laughs> Clarity. But this is what he's saying here. You see, why are you faithful? Can you say that? Can you, or, or do you feel that way? Like next week, I don't know what the world's going to bring, but it could be the thing that just tips me and I'm gone. One more thing, Jesus. If God lets one more punch at me, I'm done. I hope that's not the case. But if it's in your strength, it is the case. If, if you're the one that's holding you in the relationship between you and, and the creator of the universe, you don't have that strong of a grip. You don't. It's him. It's him. If you, if you go to Galatians, ooh, I didn't add this one in. I totally forgot. If you go to Galatians, this one won't be on the board, but uh, if you go to Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fruit that, that Brian talked about last week, right? The fruit that gets produced in us, the fruit that gets produced as us as the branches from the vine. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Totally makes sense. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Faithfulness. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You're faithful because the Holy Spirit makes you faithful. You're not faithful because you, 
you like have a good characteristic of faith. That doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit makes you faithful. The reason Jesus says no one will take you out of my hands is because he's got the grip, not you. If, if you had the grip, he wouldn't be able to say anything. He's like, I don't know, show me your hands. Show me your forearms. You see? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that preserves us. And, and the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit at this time. They will get it when he comes back. We read that in Acts, right? In Acts chapter 1 and 2. And so what, what he's saying is like, you have no power to preserve yourself as a child of God. It is God that has the power to preserve you. And he has chosen you and to, he's chosen you and he's chosen to preserve you. That's it. See, that's the relationship. It's permanent. It's a permanent adoption. It's done. This is, this is reassuring to us. There is no circumstance for those as followers of Christ who have the Holy Spirit, there is no circumstance in this world that will take you away, that will cause you to scatter the way the disciples scattered. You believe that? It's the truth of Scripture. And, and if you're in here and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about this Holy Spirit thing, this is the good news. There's not, a, there's not a process to get the Holy Spirit, right? It's confessing to God that I'm a sinner and that I need you to solve my problems in life and, and that I believe that Jesus died and rose again, that Jesus was the one, the atoning sacrifice that took the payment for my sins and that he, as he removes the sins, what does he do? He gives us his righteousness and with his righteousness comes the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts and to change our lives entirely and to give us this peace and joy. And so if you don't have that, if you haven't done that, if you haven't confessed that, you can do that right now. You can do that right now in your own mind, just talking to God. You don't even have to move your lips. This is how powerful our God is, right? He works at the heart level. Jesus overcame this fading and weak world. Look at what it says in verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Which I have to imagine, the disciples probably went, really? These don't seem like peaceful words. <laughs> These seem like difficult words. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't celebrate a random baby being born on an approximate date of December 25th of some year close to zero. <laughs> We're celebrating a God who cared enough for us that he came to rescue us. And the way that he did that was being born in a manger, being born in the likeness of men, Suffering and dying and taking our sins. Reconciling, reconciling us to God and giving us his Holy Spirit so that we would have peace and joy in the midst of a jacked up world. What more can we ask for? What more promise? What, what more reason do we have to glory in Christ our Savior? Let me pray.